Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. What's good, boys and girls? Two for the podcast on Thursday, the 5th of May, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, a virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geoblocked from, while also keeping your data safe. Go to LibertyShield.com, use the code EPL25, that's EPL25, to get 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off at checkout. Right, folks, uh, Champions League final is set. Real Madrid will face Liverpool. I tried to warn everybody. I tried to tell everybody not to write this Real Madrid team off, but everybody wanted to believe that Manchester City, because they're a better team, and they are a better team, were going to wipe the floor with Real. When you get to this stage of a major competition, experience and the right mentality can overcome a massive talent gulf, and that's what happened last night. Experience and mentality paid off. Manchester City, habitual chokers, choked once again in the Champions League. They went into the tie one goal up. They were very, very fortunate to get to 73 minutes at 0-0 last night because Real missed some good chances with Benzema and Vinicius. But Riyad Mahrez scored on 73 and it looked like game over. That looked like it would be it. That looked like the end of the tie. Nothing more to play for. City were going to ease their way through. I think Pep made a massive, massive error in bringing on Jack Grealish. Now, I've done a bit of Pep slander and a more in-depth review of the game over on the Daily Red podcast, which you can listen to on Anfield Index. But let's just say I think bringing on Jack Grealish was a big part of why City lost this game. And it's not because I thought they should have sat back and parked the bus. It's because Nathan Aki in defence makes them stronger defensively. Sinchenko in midfield makes them stronger in midfield in terms of defensive work and ball retention. And Bernardo Silva then into the front three gives them that outlet, that player they can take the ball in, hold it, win free kicks, etc. Grealish in... 47 minutes plus stoppage time on the pitch, gave the ball away seven times and committed two fouls. That's nine times he basically gave Real Madrid the ball. That's unacceptable. He also missed two massive sitters. There's no, well, Grealish almost scored. No, 
Grealish missed two sitters. That's what happened. Call it as it is. Grealish missed sitters. Pep made a mistake and then compounded that mistake by seemingly letting his players try to figure it out because when the first goal went in for Real Madrid in the 90th minute, when Rodrigo stole into the box with Ruben Diaz looking around him like he was lost and got on the end of Benzema's cutback, uh, cutback which was only possible because Jao Canseo doesn't know how to keep a defensive line. City looked dumbstruck. Pep began to flap. There were no instructions getting on the pitch, nothing clear, nothing concise, nothing about calming things down. Within 90 seconds, it's 2-1 Real. And now we're going to extra time. Again, it's Rodrigo. He's just floated into a space in front of Ruben Diaz, who can see man and ball, should be attacking that ball. He's got six inches of height, massive physical presence. He should be attacking that ball and dealing with it. Instead, Rodrigo heads home and we're in extra time. And once it goes to extra time, this game is over. I said it yesterday. If this gets to extra time, Real will win. They just know how to win. And within three minutes of extra time, they had a penalty because Ruben Diaz lunged in on Benzema stupidly. And Benzema was never missing that penalty. At 6-5 Real, there's still 15 minutes plus stoppage time left. No, sorry, there's 25 minutes plus stoppage time left. And from there, City just didn't offer anything. Foden had one chance at the end of the first period. And that was it. Nothing in the second half of extra time. Pep just seemed completely lost. His players seemed completely confused. Real Madrid brought on Danny Ceballos, who flopped at Arsenal. Jesus Vallejo, who's played maybe six times all season. Lucas Vasquez, who's a couple of years past his best. Uh, Marcus Asensio, he came on. Rodrigo, I think he'd scored one goal all season. Like, it's not like Real had a murderer's role coming off their bench. City had a much stronger bench on the night, and Pep just used it wrong. And once again, despite all the money spent, despite having had arguably the best team in Europe for most of the last decade, Pep Guardiola cannot win the Champions League without Lionel Messi. And without Messi, he's reached one Champions League final and he lost to an average Chelsea team that are one of the worst teams to ever win the competition. The other one being the previous Chelsea team that won it, and the other one then being the Liverpool team that won it in 05. They're average teams that won the Champions League. Everybody looks at, at AC Milan in 2005 and says, you bottle that. Everybody looks at Bayern Munich in 2012 and says, you bottled that. And everybody should look at City last year and say, you bottled that. Because they got beaten by a vastly inferior team. And that is what's happened to City under Guardiola. This season, Real Madrid aren't vastly inferior, but they are an inferior team. And City should have won that, that tie. They should have had to put to bed in the first leg. Last year... They lost to an inferior, massively inferior Chelsea team. The year before that, they lost to a massively inferior Lyon. 
The year before that, a massively inferior Tottenham. The year before that, a massively inferior Liverpool. Like, you're losing to teams that are finishing fourth in the Premier League when you're running away with the Premier League. So Real go on to face Liverpool. And it's a repeat of the 2018 final. It's a repeat of the 1981 final. The sides have won one each of those. Real have won their last seven European Cup finals. They've won every Champions League era final that they've played in. The last time they lost the European Cup final was 1981. It was to Liverpool. It was in Paris. There's something in the air about this game. Now, look, I'm not going to write off Real Madrid because as I've been preaching, you can't write off this team. It's too much nice. There's too much experience. There's too many winners, career winners in that team. But, but, let's take a look at their Champions League run. So in the group stage, they lost to Sheriff Tiraspol. Now you can afford to lose a game, but they lost to Sheriff Tiraspol at home. They lost to Paris Saint-Germain in the first leg. They lost to Chelsea in the second leg. And not only that, needed a big comeback in that game to lose it by a scoreline that still sent them through. And they lost the first leg to City. So they've lost a tie in each of the last three rounds. They have needed a big comeback in each of the last three rounds. They needed the big comeback after Paris Saint-Germain went one up in Madrid and were 2 0 up in the tie with half an hour to go. They needed a big comeback against Chelsea when Chelsea went 3 1 up, uh, sorry, 3 0 up in the Bernabeu. There was 10 minutes left and Real turned it round. And they needed a big comeback last night where City were 1 up in the Bernabeu, two goals up on aggregate going into the 90th minute. In each of those leg, in each of those ties, they've needed two legs, and they've needed big comebacks. But what those comebacks also needed was PSG to bottle things, Chelsea to show that they're not all that good, and City to bottle things. Can they rely? on Liverpool to let them back into a game. If Liverpool are 2-0 up at half-time on the 28th of May, can they rely on Liverpool to let them back in? Can they once again summon it without a second leg to rely on? Liverpool are a better team than Real Madrid. Right now, it's not in debate. In the same way it wasn't in debate that City were a better team than Real Madrid. I think Liverpool have a stronger mentality than City. City have lost eight times this season in 53 games. 
54 games, 9 and 54 if you count the Community Shield. Liverpool have only lost three in 57. And one of those was a game they could afford to lose against Inter Milan because they'd won the first leg comfortably. Real this season, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight defeats. And they've played less games than Liverpool. I'm not going to go through counting them, but they've played less games than Liverpool and lost eight times. Liverpool are hard to beat. Very, very hard to beat. The two games they lost in the Premier League this season, one was to West Ham, the other was to Leicester. Both of those games were games they should have, they should have beaten Leicester and they should have gotten something from that West Ham game. But both of those games featured a midfield of Henderson, Fabinho and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. That will not be the midfield in the Champions League final. Luis Diaz did not play for Liverpool when they lost those games. Ibu Kanate did not start those games. So no Diaz, no Thiago, and no Kanate for any of those games. All three of them will start the final. In all likelihood. Now, Matip might start, but I think Kanate has earned the right to start the final having played all the knockout games. The only real question mark over the Liverpool team is Naby Keita or Jordan Henderson. Henderson is the captain, but Keita has been much better this season. And Henderson has only started two of their last six Champions League games. So that's a question for Klopp. Real have big questions. First question. Edna Militao went off injured last night, and when he was lying on the ground, he made a snapping motion as if to say something was after going on him. So is he going to be fit? If he's not fit, Nacho and David Alaba as your centre-back pairing? Doesn't exactly scream out to me as a centre-back pairing that will cope well with the pace and movement of Liverpool. Danny Carvial against Luis Diaz, that, that's not going to be fun either. Moving from there into midfield, Tony Cruz has not had a good Champions League campaign was poor in both games against City. Eduardo Camavinga has come off the bench and been outstanding in a number of Champions League games this season. Who starts? My guess is he'll start Tony Cruz. And I think that weakens the team. If he goes Modric, Casemiro, Cruz, I think that's advantage Liverpool in midfield. As great as those three players have been, Cruz has fallen off quite drastically, and Casemiro has lost a step. Last night, he had three really questionable fouls, and in the Champions League final, he might not get away with some of them. Now, I'll say this for the benefit of Shea Given and others who are crying about them. If he gets booked for the foul on De Bruyne, he doesn't make the other two. Let's be clear on that. He's not an idiot. He's not an idiot. If he gets booked for the first one, he doesn't make the other two fouls. And then the final question for Real is, who's the third attacker? We know it'll be Benzema, we know it'll be Vinicius. Is it Valverde? Or is it Rodrigo? Valverde makes them stronger. Rodrigo carries more of, a, of an attacking threat. But will they play Valverde to try and stop Andy Robertson's runs going the other way? Valverde will improve them defensively, but weaken them going forward. 
again, I know these things are pointless, but we'll do a bit of a combined Liverpool-Real Madrid 11 to finish up this little segment. Alisson is the goalkeeper. Now, Courtois is world-class. He's, he's been a top five or six keeper in the world for a number of years. I'd say right now he's probably number two behind Alisson. Ter Stegen has been space-jammed. Manuel Neuer continues to gradually decline. And Oblak has fallen off this season. Now, I expect him to bounce back next year. But I would say right now, Thibaut Courtois is the number two goalkeeper in the world. Alison Becker is number one. The right back is unquestionably Trent Alexander-Arnold. The left back is Andy Robertson. Now, I think David Alaba is still the best left back on the planet. He just doesn't play there anymore. But if we go by left-back versus left-back, Robertson is better than Mendy. Van Dijk is better than Alaba. And Kanate is better than Militao or Nacho. He's more controlled. Casemiro or Fabinho, you can go either way. I probably would lean Casemiro. I still think there's just something about him that's special. And then Modric and Thiago as the other two. And then an attack, it's Salah, it's Benzema. And for me, it's Diaz. I know Vinicius is having a wonderful season. I know there's a lot of hype around him. But I think I'd go Diaz. Now, you can go Vinicius if you wish, and that's fine. But you get four Real Madrid players in there. Tops. I think the talent advantage in this game is more drastic than it was in the City Real game where I had a more Real players in my combined 11 than City. A lot of people are talking about 2018 and what, what that final looked like. If we look at the Real Madrid team from then versus now, they had Kaylor Navas, now they have Thibaut Courtois. Courtois is an upgrade. But that Danny Carvial is better than this Danny Carvial. Varane was better than Militao. I would take Alaba over Alaba over Ramos because I can rely on him more. But he is prone to some bad games. So is Ramos, but I would rather have Alaba. Marcelo versus Mendy. Marcelo better going forward, Mendy better defensively. It's a better push. But defensively, I think they're weaker now. In the back, across the back four than they were in 2018. In midfield, it's the same three in midfield, but they've all fallen off. There's still two of them are still excellent. And Cruz on his day can be very good, but they're not the same players they were in 2018. So midfield, massive drop off. Up front, it was Isco on the right that night. Isco at his very best, going forward, a much better player than Valverde and just a better player than Rodrigo. I think this Benzema is better than that Benzema, but Ronaldo at that point versus Vinicius is no contest. I think the attack was better then, the midfield was better then, and the defence was better then. The only thing that's improved is the goalkeeper, whereas you flip it and look at Liverpool, Alisson is better than Karius. Trent now better than Trent then. Robertson now, better than Robertson then. Not Lovren, better than Lovren. Kanate, much better than Lovren. 
Van Dijk now versus Van Dijk then, I think Van Dijk now is the better player because I think he's got more experience. I think he reads the game a, a little bit better. I think he's learned how to use his physicality even more effectively. So I think Liverpool's defence across the board, hugely improved. Goalkeeper, hugely improved. Alisson over Karius, no contest. Midfield, Fabinho over Henderson, massive upgrade. Keita over Milner, massive upgrade. Thiago over Wijnaldum, massive upgrade. Salah now versus Salah then, it's a better push. Salah's probably a better all-round player now. Diaz now versus Mane then is very, very close. I would probably slightly lean Mane then. But Mane now versus Firmino then, again, very, very close. I think Liverpool's attack now is slightly better than it was then. Slightly. Midfield massively improved, defence massively improved, goalkeeper massively improved. This Liverpool team are a lot better than that Liverpool team. This Real team are not as good as that Real team. And that game was largely decided on Liverpool getting completely outplayed in midfield and two huge goalkeeping errors. And while, yes, Real have more experience, yes, they have more now, yes, they have more experience of winning these things, Liverpool also have a team of winners. Alisson, Trent, Joel Matip, Virgil, Robbo. If that's the back four, all Champions League winners. If not, it's Kanate. He's very young, but he's got a very mature head and his shoulders. I don't think he'll be at all phased by the occasion. In midfield... Champions League winners across the board. Thiago won it at Bayern, and they won it recently as well, just like Liverpool did. Fabinho obviously won it with Liverpool. Keita won it with Liverpool, though he was injured. Henderson, if it's him that starts, he's obviously won the competition. And Liverpool's front three. Salah has won it, Mane has won it. Diaz hasn't yet, but nothing phases Diaz. Nothing phases Diaz. And Diaz versus Carvial is where Liverpool's biggest advantage comes in. I've seen a lot of people already talking about Vinicius versus Trent, that's not nearly the, the mismatch that Diaz versus Carvial is. Not nearly the mismatch. Trent is a better defender than Carvial, and Diaz is a better footballer than Vinicius. Uh, we'll leave it at that for that. We've got football tonight in the Europa League. We have the second legs of the semifinals. Rangers at home to RB Leipzig. They'll be looking to overcome the 1-0 deficit from the first leg. And I have to say, I'm sort of feeling like Rangers could manage this. At home, at Ibrox, with that crowd behind them. If Rangers get an early goal, I think they're going to end up going through. Leipzig, unquestionably the better team, but it's not always about the better team. It's about circumstance. And in this situation, it can just be about the power of the crowd. Ibrox is one of the most intimidating places in Europe to go. The other one then, Eintracht Frankfurt at home to West Ham. Eintracht have the 2-1 lead from the first leg. They'll be confident going into this, but West Ham have time and again overcome the odds. They beat Lyon 3-0 away, which I don't think many people expected. When they went to Sevilla, they only came away with a 1-0 defeat. They put in a really good performance. They've been good on the road in this competition. They haven't been good in the Premier League of late. And maybe that lack of form seeps over into this. I do fancy West Ham. I do fancy West Ham to overcome that deficit and get through. 
I'm going to go for a Leipzig West Ham final, but there is there is part of me starting to feel like it could be Rangers West Ham. Um, but Leipzig West Ham, I think, is from a footballing point of view, is the best final we could get. Uh, in the Europa Conference League, then again, the second leg of the semi-finals, Marseille at home to Feyenoord. First game ended three-two to Feyenoord. They went two up. Marseille fought back and then Feyenoord got the early goal at the start of the second half and that's how it stayed. There will be goals tonight. I fancy Marseille to go through. I think they're the better team. But Sinistera, the left winger for Feyenoord, could be the game changer here. An outrageous talent. If Marseille can keep him quiet, dominate possession and get lots of movement in the final third, I think Marseille can win this game. Roma versus Leicester then, 1-1 in the first leg. Mourinho versus Rodgers. You've got to go with the old head. I've got to go with Mourinho. The man has won the UEFA Cup, the Champions League twice, and the Europa League. Looking to complete the set now. I know the Europa League and the UEFA Cup are the same thing, but they're not the same thing because they were very different formats and he won it both ways. He also won that UEFA Cup with Porto. Just as an aside here, the disrespect towards Mourinho is incredible. That man won a UEFA Cup and European Cup with Porto. He didn't win it with Real Madrid or PSG or City or United or Liverpool or some powerhouse like Bayern or Barca. He won it with Porto. And then he won another Champions League with Inter against the greatest Barcelona team that's ever been. The man knows how to win. His run from the beginning of the 0203 season to the end of that title winning season at Chelsea the second time is arguably the greatest run any manager has ever had. But he's not judged on that. He's judged on the collapse at Chelsea. He's judged on what happened at United. And by the way, what happened at United was he finished second and he won two cups. He's their best manager in the post-Ferguson era by a distance. And then obviously what happened with Spurs. But again, he got to a cup final with Spurs and could well have gone and won the cup final, but they sacked him a few days beforehand. Mourinho knows how to win things. I think he just outsmarts Rodgers tonight. I really do. I thought I thought Leicester's chance to, to press the advantage was in the first leg. I'm going for a Marseille-Roma final in the Europa Conference League. I think both games should be good. I think both of the Europa League games should be good. If I was to watch one, I'd probably watch Marseille-Feyenoord. I think it'll be the most fun game of the night. But all four should be, should be good quality. Uh, we'll take a break when we come back. Listeners' questions and the gossip. See you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So, uh, listeners' question time on a Thursday. So, AMK2889, your all-time Borussia Dortmund 11, including a goalkeeper. Um, Okay. I think... 
let's start with the fact that this is going. Oh, I'm sorry, including including a manager. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Otmar Hitzfeld. I know that'll be a bit controversial, but I'm gonna go with Otmar Hitzfeld. He won a European Cup there, so for me, he has to be in as the manager. Um, obviously, what he went on to do with Bayern as well, won a European Cup there. Otmar Hitzfeld is just one of the greatest managers who's ever lived. Now, Jurgen Klopp is absolutely in that conversation as well, but just the fact that Hitzfeld won the European Cup with Dortmund gives him the edge for me. Uh, for goalkeeper, I mean, Stefan Close is the obvious one because he won the Champions League there with them that year, but at the same time, you've got to look at more recent options as well the current goalkeeper uh, is is really really good I think I'll go Vedenfeller from the Klopp era I think he was slightly better than Stefan Close so I'll go with him we're obviously going to play a back three because it's Hitzfeld and it's Dortmund and they're going to play a back three we're going to go Matthias Zammer as the sweeper Jurgen Koller will be one of the centre backs and Mats Hummels will be the other Stefan Reuter is the right wing back. Could I go out of position Marco Royce as my left wing back? Not my ideal use of him, but I want him in the team and he's not getting into my front three. Yeah, I think we'll go... Maybe he does get in the front three. Do you know what? He does get in my front three. We'll go Evan Nielsen from the Zammer managed team. Now, he played predominantly as a right wing back, but he could also play left wing back, and he was outstanding for them. So we're going to go with him as the left wing back. In midfield, Andreas Muller is going to be the number 10. I'm going to go... Gundogan as one of my midfielders, one of my central midfielders. And for the other one, just a couple of seasons where Julian Vegel was just on a different level, but I'm just not sure it was for long enough. It was only really two seasons before the ankle injury. Not going to go for Bender. I think I'll go Paolo Sosa, part of that 97 Champions League winning team. Him and Gundogan with Andreas Muller as the 10. And then Lewandowski and Royce as my front two. The one player I feel like I'm leaving out that I should include is Amoruso. He was part of that team in the 2000s that won the league. But he only had one great season with Dortmund, and then it all kind of fell apart from with injuries, and he fell out with a couple of people. So I'll, I'll go with Royce and Lewandowski up front, Muller behind them, Gundogan and Silva, or Sosa rather, uh, Reuter one side, Evan Nielsen the other, Collar and Hummels with Zammer as the sweeper, and Vedenfeller in goal, and Hitzfeld as the manager. Um... Isaac Gilding, not so much a question, but just want to hear what you made of Pep Linder's The Coach's Voice video. 
I haven't actually watched all of it yet. What I have watched is fascinating. Hearing him talk about Liverpool's pressing system is really, really interesting. And, you know, the more bits and pieces that come out about him, the more impressive he comes across. But I still think he's better as an assistant manager uh, than a manager. But we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see what, it, what, what he develops into. The fact that he's signed on to stay till 2026, gotten a good pay rise, I think that's an important move. Uh, AMK2889, what do you th- do you think Brian Schmetzer, the Seattle Sounders manager, could be a success in Europe? Um, he's 59. And he's never managed outside of the Seattle area. Well, sorry, he managed, he was the assistant manager of the Tacoma Stars indoor team. He was the assistant manager of the Seattle Sea Dogs indoor team. He was Sounders manager for six years. Then he became Sounders assistant manager for seven years, which is a bit bizarre. I assume that was when they moved into the um, into the MLS. Hmm. I don't know, to be honest, is the answer. I don't know. He's a little bit older than what you would want to come across for a first job in Europe. Like I always think of, like, say, Bob Bradley, who's a really good manager, but he, he, I always felt like he just left it a little bit too late. And he was, when did he come to Europe first? He was 56. He went to Norway with his first job in Europe, first job outside of the US. Well, he managed Egypt for a couple of years. Um, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. I, I Look, the Sounders play some really good football. He's had some success there. But the truth of it is he hasn't had enough blow away success to make me think that's a guy who should come across. And the truth of it is he won the MLS cup in 2016 and 2019. I think if he was going to make the move, that was the time, but I suppose the Sounders were so dominant from 16 to 20 that maybe he didn't feel like he needed to. Um, obviously I suppose he has, they have won the, the CONCACAF champions league, haven't they? Uh, this year. So, it's possible. It's possible, but I, I'm going to err on the side of no. I'm going to err on the side of no. I don't think he could. His age would count against him. If he is going to come across, though, I would say the best thing he could do is go to a secondary league, but one that speaks the English language. So Scotland. I would say if... Now, neither of the top jobs are going to open up this summer, in all likelihood, I assume Ange will stay with Celtic. I assume Van Bronckhorst stays where he is. I don't know whether he speaks other languages, other leagues that could suit uh, maybe the Netherlands, but those top jobs seem to be closing up. Uh, maybe Belgium. One of the Scandi countries could suit because we've seen English-speaking managers go to Sweden and Norway and have success. So maybe he could look at Sweden. 
But in terms of the top leagues, I, I'm going to say no. Uh, but he has done an amazing job with Seattle. It's just that I'd look at it and say, well, if he'd won four or five in a row, you'd, you'd have to go and get him and see what he could do. But winning the Champions League, though, is, is a big deal. So fair play. It's, it's a huge accomplishment for them to win their first uh, CONCACAF Champions League. And credit to him for what he's done there. Uh, moving on. KOR99, what's your top 10 Champions League centre-backs of all time? Right. Well, the two obvious ones to start with are Baresi and Costa Curta. I'm going to put Nesta down, even though it doesn't really come into it till later, but we'll go with him. Uh, Fernando Hierro would absolutely make this list. Frank Rijkaard for his time at Ajax was just sensational when he was there. The game came to him so easily as a midfielder that when he dropped back into playing as a centre-back, it was cigar and slipper stuff for him. Never, ever looked hurried or hassled or out of position. Just two steps ahead. All the time. Um, let me think. Jurgen Kohler would have to be in for me. I mean, I know he only won one, but sensational in that 97 run. Brilliant. Just an outright great central defender one of the best of all time and one that's always overlooked when people talk about the best to ever do it. Um, we tended to put Marcel Desailly in because he played in, in defence for Marseille when he won the Champions League with them, but obviously then he played in midfield for Milan when he won it with them the following year. Desailly, to me, also another one of those incredible centre-backs, always overlooked. When I hear Chelsea fans talk about John Terry being the best centre-back in Premier League history, and I think he's the third best centre-back Chelsea had in the Premier League era. So unless we're solely basing this on longevity and not actually how good they were, there's no way John Terry gets in because Carvalho and, um, and Desai were better. Speaking of Carvalho, I think he would be in for me because I think he's one of the best centre-backs of the last 20 years. That gives me eight. Van Dijk has to be. Three finals in three and a half years. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And then I think Pepe. Now, I know a lot of people will say Ramos because he won four, but actually, do you know what? Carlos Puyol. Carlos Puyol. So Baresi, Costa Curta, Nesta, Hierro, Rijkaard, Collar. Desai, Carvalho, Van Dijk, Puyol. I'm taking all of them over any of the John Terry's, Sergio Ramos's, Gerard Piquet's, Rafa Varane's, any of them. And Varane was great for a couple of years, but I'm taking this list over any of them. So yeah, that's what I've got. Uh, Adam Hanlon then, he's got two questions. 
Two questions, rather. BT are currently running the Champions League Immortals. What's your 11 of Champions League Immortals? Okay. Uh, my goalkeeper would have to be Iker Casillas. Because if you remember back to the first Real Madrid run in the Champions League, that's where he made his name and where it all began for him. So he would be my goalkeeper. Um, Maldini's unquestionably the left back. Three Champions Leagues, five European Cups in total. There's no question that he's in. My right back, I think Danny Alves is the obvious choice here, but... Give it time, give it time. And uh, Trent could very well supplant him on that list. My centre-backs then, I've got a pick from that list I've just done. I would go... Baresi's the best of them, but his his very best years were before the Champions League. And he did only win two, uh, one Champions League, two European Cups before that. Costa Curta was incredible and his longevity was unbelievable. Man played till he was in his 40s. Um, Nesta was incredible for a long, long time. Nesta, Puyol, Virgil, Hierro. Those would be the four I'd narrow it to. If I just pick the two best of them, it's if I pick the two best of them, it's Nesta and Virgil. But I'm gonna go Nesta and Hierro because Virgil's still playing and his his story is not yet told. The midfield, it has to be Xavi. It has to be Iniesta. And I think it has to be Busquets. I think you have to put that midfield in. Messi's in. Cristiano's obviously in. The amount of goals he scored is, is just ludicrous. So I need one more. Now I can go with a striker. I could go with Lewandowski. I go with Raul. Zidane had so many incredible Champions League moments. Even in the event, his time at Juventus when you know they, they fell short. I, I think Zidane edges it for me. So I'll go with Zidane sort of behind Messi and Cristiano, almost like a diamond midfield of Busquets, Javi, Iniesta, and Zidane, Messi and Cristiano. Yeah, I'm happy with that. I'm happy with that. And I, and I do think, unlike Virgil, I do think Busquets, Messi and Cristiano, I think their Champions League story has come to an end. They'll still play, but I don't expect them to win it again. I don't think they'll come close to winning, winning it again. Um, who are your favourite teams to play in the Champions League from any season? They don't have to be winners, just a group of players who and a manager who were fun and dangerous to play against. Oh, no, there's a question. Um, I mean, 
it's tough because your mind always goes to teams that won it. I would say the Valencia teams under Hector Cooper that lost back-to-back finals, they were really fun to watch, really good discipline in them, really fast on the counter-attack. So unfortunate to run into Real and Bayern in back-to-back finals. They deserved to win one. And that was obviously the foundation of the team that Rafa Benitez would go on to to win a a UEFA Cup and and two league titles with. Um, Mourinho's Porto, I enjoyed. I I always liked Wenger's Arsenal from, you know, from like 96, 97, 97, through to the defeat in the final in 06. I thought that was a great Arsenal team. They were never quite the same. After that point, obviously, Vieira left, Omri left, and then that was kind of the end of them. Um, I, I know they did win one, but there was the, the, the generation of Bayern with Robin and Ribery, sensational. I love teams that play sweepers. So that 97 Dortmund team is one I love. The, um, the 01. The 01 Bayern team, another one that I, I absolutely loved. What a what a brilliant team that was. I mean, you have Stefan Effenberg in midfield in the form of his life, Elber up front, Mehmet Scholl, Hassan Salahamovic, who's now a mediocre, um, a mediocre uh, director of football. The 99 Bayern team, though, might have been even more fun because that was the one with that with, with Mateus, Lothar Mateus as the sweeper. And Sammy Kufer, Marcus Babel, Effenberg, Jeremy's, Mario Basler, when, when he could just keep his mind straight, was brilliant. They were a lot of fun. They probably should have won that Champions League final that they played in. All those Juventus teams through the, through the late 90s, even the early 90s, uh, Juventus were a lot of fun. You know, they lost three finals in... The... the 03 Juventus team, I think, wins the 03 Champions League if Pavel Nedved isn't suspended. He was the best player on the planet that year. And if he hadn't gotten suspended, I think, I think them. The Juventus team that lost the back-to-back finals in 97 and 98, I think they're worth a mention. The Cruyff Dream Team, I think you, you've got to put them in. Like we all saw them destroy United in the Champions League, Romario, Stoichkov, Laudrup. Koeman, they could only play three of the four any one time and it was just difficult for them but they won it in 92 and then I think they were even better a couple of years later I just always had a thing about Milan that defence, the players they had in midfield and attack Van Basten and Hullet and Rijkaard and Albertini and when they bought Lentini, like think of that 94 Champions League final where AC Milan, under Fabio Capello, take on Barcelona, the dream team. Guardiola, Koeman, Nadal, Stoichkov, Romario. Sensational. Zubi Zaretta in goal. And they're at full strength, whereas AC Milan, well, they're missing Costa Curta, who's suspended. They're missing... Brazy, who's suspended, so the best centre-back pairing in the world, both missing. They're missing the best number nine on the planet, Marco Van Basten, because he's he's injured. 
they're missing the world's most expensive player, Gianluigi Lentini. He's sitting on the bench. He's just, just there. <laughs> and not getting in the team because of the, the car crash that he'd had. Uh, the fractured skull, the, the coma that he was in. Um, he, the fact that he came back as quickly as he did was amazing, but he was never the same player. Like before his, his accident, if you can find footage of Gianluigi Lantini at Torino, you will be blown away by what you see. But at Milan, after the accident, it just wasn't the same. But So that team went in with the world's most expensive player, not really fit enough to play, the world's best nine, not there, the two best centre-backs in the world, or at least the best pairing, and certainly the, the best centre-back in the world of Brazy, not there. And they go on and they wipe the floor with Barcelona, 4-0. Massaro, who at best was a good, a good backup striker, gets two. Savicevic scores one of the great Champions League final goals and then Desai wraps it up, rampaging through from midfield. But that midfield, Boban, Albertini, Desai and Donadoni, that's incredible. That defence still had Tassotti at right back, a young Christian Panucci in at left back, Maldini shifts across the centre back and just bossed the game, put, put Romario in his pocket. Um, that may well have been one of the first times he ever played centre back. Um Savicevic, just oh, what a gorgeous player. What, what an amazing player. I love that team. That Milan era from Saki through Capello. Give me that over any team we've seen. Give me that over Pep's Barcelona. Without, without question, give me that over Pep's Barcelona. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know if that answers your question. I, ho- I hope it does. Um, I've got couple more here got one from the machine Stephen Smith uh, let me see let me see build your best 11 from the four semi-finalists from the Champions League another from the Europa League and another from the Conference League right let me pull these back up so Champions League uh, I'm going to go Allison. I'm going to go Trent I'm going to go Virgil I'm going to play Canseo at left back and I'm going to play Alaba as my second centre back. I know it's not perfect, but I want Alaba in the team and I think City have to have some representation here. Unfortunately for Villarreal, none of their players get in here. Uh, in midfield, it's De Bruyne. I'd still lean Casemiro over Rodri and Fabinho and Modric probably in over Thiago, though I think Thiago at this point is probably a better player. But we'll go with Luka Modric. In attack, Salah, Benzema. And Diaz. Genuinely, I think it's Diaz. I think it's Diaz. There's no like I'd have him over Sterling. Certainly have him over Grealish. I'd have him over Vinicius. Yeah, that would be my Champions League team. Uh, Europa League is a bit tougher now. Um, let's see. 
I don't know that any Rangers players get in this team. I think the best goalkeeper of the four is... Kevin Trapp is very good, but I think Ariola is the best keeper of the four. And I don't think Galaxy or... Um, what's his name for... What is that fella's name for Rangers? Hang on, let me check. I can't think of his name. Alan McGregor. It's not him. Definitely not him. Centre-backs, I'm going Zuma, Gvardiol, and I might go Hinteregger. Though Evan and Dicker, who was out injured, I'd probably go with him. So Zuma, Gvardiol, and then Dicker. Wing-backs, then Kostic is definitely on the left. On the right wing-back spot, I think Vladimir Sufal is probably the one that I would go with. I think he is the best of the group. In midfield, uh, Declan Rice. And... Conrad Lamer? Yeah, Conrad Lamer, yeah, I'll go with that. And then up front, I'm going in Kunku. I'm going Dominic, and I'd probably go Jared Bowen. So Dominic behind as a 10, and Kunku and Bowen as a front two. That's probably what I would go with for the Europa League. And in the Conference League, I want to try and get, I want to try and get one of them that has a member of all four teams. I feel like I've been a bit mean to Rangers and, and to Villarreal. Um, right. Goalkeeper. Rui Patricio is the one that stands out the most for me, but I can see an argument for Casper Schmeichel. Mandanda's pass is best. It's not going to be him. Uh, the right back. I go Ricardo Pereira. Centre-backs, I'm going to go Fafana and Saliba. And left-back, I'm going to go with probably Malasia from Feyenoord. Yeah. Midfield, as much as I love Bubakar Kamara, it's Ndidi. Well, Ndidi's not fit. So, I mean, if Ndidi's fit, it's Ndidi and Tielemans. Given he's not, I'm going to go Kamara and Tielemans as a midfield two. Be fair, Madison's probably the third, although Pellegrini maybe. Madison or Pellegrini. I'll go Pellegrini in midfield. I'll go Pellegrini in midfield. In attack, I think it's Harvey Barnes... Tammy Abraham and Sinistera. Yeah. So in midfield, I'll go, yeah, Tielemans, Kamara, and Pellegrini, Barnes, Tammy, and Sinistera as my front three. And then the defense was Pereira, Malashia, fullbacks, Saliba, and Fafana. 
and I, I can see arguments for either Casper Schmeichel or Rui Patricia, but I'd probably just go Rui Patricia. I think he's a slightly better goalkeeper. Um, the second part of that was who would win out of the three? The, the Champions League one. Uh, Champions League one would be best. I actually think that Europa Conference League one would beat the Europa League one. I think it's substantially better defensively and in midfield. I'll go with Champions League, Conference League, Europa League uh, as my three there. And then I have one last question. Alex Sapopo. Assuming the buy options are not fulfilled, what are some realistic replacements for the low, for some of the league's successful loanees? Gallagher, Brogia, Coutinho. Any ideas for loans for next season between Premier League clubs? Right, I'll start with the first one. I'll go with those three you've mentioned. For It depends on how much money they have for Palace and how aggressive they want to be. If they could go and find and get Conrad Lehmart, no, I don't know if he'd go there. He'd be a great fit. I think Ainsley, Maitland, Niles would be worth them looking at. I think Czech Dekure is worth looking at. I think Jean Onana is worth looking at. There's a number of good options out, out there for them, sub 20 million. If I was them, I'd actually buy Dekure and Onana and properly boost my midfield. Uh, I'm not sure what John Onana would cost. I, I don't think it would be a massive fee from Bordeaux. But his ability to play all three midfield positions is very, very rare. And I think if they could get him in, you could use him the way they've used Gallagher. Then bring in Czech Dukure, who can play as a holding midfielder or centre-back. He can replace Koyate in that defensive midfield role. Then you have two really young, mad. They're both, this is complete fluke. Both of them were born on January the 8th, 2000. I had no idea they shared a birthday. But I, I, would, I would genuinely go and try, try by both of them if I was Palace. One coming from Lens, the other com- Lens, the other one coming from Bordeaux. Don't think the money would be crazy on either of them. I think it's more than affordable for them to do it. And I think it would massively upgrade their midfield. And I think they'd have two more players that they could sell on for big money in the coming years. That's what I would do if I was Palace. Rather than spending potentially 40 million on Gallagher, I'd take that 40 million and I'd buy the two of those. And I think I'd still have change left over. Um, On the topic of Palace, one of the loans that I think could happen is Juan Basaka back to Palace on loan. I think that is something that could happen. Um, Armando Brogia, obviously Southampton, need a replacement for him. I I think you're looking at someone with a physical presence, but someone who's also good on the floor, can carry the ball, has good pace. Ben Breer-Diaz is one that has stood out to me for a while now as a player ready for the Premier League. I think he'd fit well at Palace. They've looked at him before. They also bought his team, former teammate Armstrong last summer. So that's an existing link up that they can maybe tap back into. And Diaz seemed to get, Brian Diaz seemed to get the best out of Armstrong. So maybe you stick those two up front and you have success. So that's who I would go with if I was them. And Coutinho, 
See, there's not many, there's not many number 10s around anymore. Like, there's not many players like Coutinho. Now, I've always maintained he's probably better as a number eight, uh, but not in not in how Gerard plays. He plays that sort of dual number 10s, and he's got normally Buendia and Coutinho. Replacing Coutinho is difficult. So, let me think. You want chance creation. You want someone that can get you goals. You want intelligence and movement. In Alexis McAllister ticks so many of the boxes. He's not got the ceiling of a Coutinho, but I certainly think he could play for Aston Villa and be very, very good for them. I think I, I think I'd go with Alexis McAllister. If Lanzini was a couple of years younger, he might be the pick, but I'd go Alexis McAllister there. Uh, in terms of other loans, I'd love to see um, Yanhel Herrera get a Premier League loan. City have loaned him around Spain a couple of times. I'd love to see him get a Premier League loan. I think he's another one that Palace could look at to be that sort of pressing attacking midfielder, like a defensive attacking midfielder, the way Gallagher's been for them this year and try and win the ball high, but I do think go Onana and Dekure and you solidify yourself long-term because you can buy those two. City might be willing to sell, but um, Herrera, if you haven't seen him, reminds me of a young Vidal, though he hasn't developed the way I was hoping the last 18 months or so. But he's one. I think Curtis Jones needs a loan. I think a Premier League loan would do him the world of good. Um. I'm not sure I'd want him loaned to a team that's likely to face a relegation scrap. So maybe not Fulham. But if if Brentford lose Ericsson and want you know, a creative ball-carrying midfielder, I think he could be an option there. I'm really hoping that Harvey Vale gets a Premier League loan next season if Chelsea aren't going to use him. And Levi Colwell the same. Caldwell would be perfect for Brentford. Left side of a back three, absolutely perfect. I'd be curious to see what James Garner can do in the Premier League. I don't think he's quite ready. It could take three months of, of struggle to, to smooth off some of the edges, but if, if he gets the right loan and the right manager, maybe he can develop quite well there. Um. Marcus Rashford is a player I think United should look to loan next season. And if Everton stay up and Richarlison leaves, he could be an option there. Maybe he'd be better off dropping a little bit in terms of, you know, the standard of team that he plays for. Um, and maybe he could look at, you know, Wolves maybe get a load of chances created for you by Trinkiao and Neto, assuming Trinkiao stays, uh, and you could score a bunch of goals, get your confidence back, and Wolves aren't going to be as high profile. West Ham could be another option for him on a loan. In terms of younger players as well, Ollie Skip, I'm not sure he's going to have much of a part to play at Spurs next season, if they add 
one more in midfield, which is what's been been reported. Now maybe he'll he'll stay as the fourth midfielder, but if not, Ollie Skip uh, uh, would be a good loan signing for a number of Premier League clubs, including Crystal Palace, as that replacement for um, for Gallagher. That's probably about it. It's probably what I've got for you today. Uh, we'll finish up with the gossip and we're done for there. Uh, let's see. Barcelona have stepped up their bid to sign Rafinha and are preparing to offer separate deals depending on whether Leeds stay in the division or not. Those are, that's just silly. Uh, so I think that's just been made up by whoever's writing it in the Telegraph. Let's see. Oh, it's Mike McGrath, though. To be fair, it is Mike McGrath. So, you know, he, the guy knows what he's talking about. Um, English midfielder Jesse Lingard is attracting interest from Juventus, PSG, AC Milan, and Newcastle. My bet is he ends up at Newcastle uh, as he prepares to leave Manchester United after 22 years. That's crazy. Crystal Palace and Ivory Coast winger Wilfred Zaha is unlikely to sign a new deal at the club and could be sold in the summer before his contract expires in 2023. Well, if he's not going to extend, you need to sell him. It's as simple as that. If he's not going to stand, and it is Gary Jacobs, so the information will be good, you need to sell him this summer and turn that money into a replacement. Uh, go and get, if, if Forrest don't come up, I say, say it all the time, get Brennan Johnson. And you get Elise you got on the right, you get Brennan Johnson on the left, you have Mateta and Eduard through the middle. You've got AU, you've got Schlupp can play in those wide roles. Maybe look for somebody as a, a bit of backup as well. Bring in those two in midfield that I mentioned, and then you can play Eberichi Ezi as your third midfielder because you'll have the work rate and ball winning to go with him. Uh, and that could be a really promising midfield. Um, Barcelona have no intention of paying the 30 million euro option to convert Adama Traore into a permanent deal and would only be interested in a player swap. So yeah, they want to swap Adama Traore for Trinkia. That's what Barca want. But that has been clear for weeks and weeks now. This is Romano attempting to think that he knows, or to let on that he knows what's going on. The president of Barcelona came out and said this. That's what they want. They want Wolves to take Trinkia and they'll take Adama. And if Wolves have any sense, they'll snap the hands clean off Barcelona and do that. Arsenal are interested in signing Latour Martinez. The player's agent says he's not thinking about leaving his current club. I'm not sure he's the nine that they need. The Gunners are also reportedly interested in signing Moussa Diaby. I don't understand why they would be. Diaby is going to cost an absolute fortune and he doesn't get an Arsenal's best 11. Unless you're dropping Martinelli or, you know, or Smith Rowe, whichever one is the starter, which means that two of the Saka, Martinelli, Smith Rowe uh, triangle thing, or whatever you want to call it, trio, trio is the word I'm looking for, are now sitting on the bench every week. Uh, and you still need a striker. You still need a backup striker. You still need a starting midfielder. You still need a depth midfielder. You need two depth centre backs and two depth full backs and a depth goalkeeper. And I know they've got that sorted, you still have to pay for it. Arsenal need loads this summer. They can't really afford... If they go and spend £70 million on one player, it would be absolutely ridiculous if they leave other areas short. 
Uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach's Matthias Ginter rejected a summer move to Aston Villa and will join Freiburg instead. And I can see it. I can see why he would do that. You know, stay in Germany. He's from the Freiburg region. He was at Freiburg to begin his career. That's where Dortmund bought him from. Freiburg are a really good club. They're they're a great story. And Christian Strike is one of the most admirable managers in Europe. And the new stadium, the Europa Park Stadium, is a triumph. It's in its first season this year. They're just a really good, well-run club that always punches above their weight. So I can absolutely see why Ginter would want to do that. Uh, the market value for Marcus Rashford has fallen by 90 million. What? The market value for Marcus Rashford has fallen by 90 million. How is that even possible? Okay, transfer market currently has a value at 63 million. And his peak value is 76.5. So this is nonsense from the Express. Newcastle have been offered the chance to sign Ishmael, Ishmael Assar with the Hornets wanting 40 million. I don't think they'll get 40. I don't think they'll get 40. Brighton are interested in Coventry's the Dutch defensive midfielder, Gustavo Hammer. Good player. Good player. Not sure they need a defensive midfielder. I know Basuma might leave, but they've already got Motor coming back, uh, Casado, Mwepu. But he is a good player. Well, quite, He's good in the ball as well. West Ham risk missing out on the signing of Sparta Prague and Czech Republic forward Adam Plozek despite being offered the chance to bring him in on loan this summer. If you get a chance to loan him and you turn it down, you're morons. That is one of the best young attackers in Europe. Clubs will queue up for him this summer. Brighton are interested in... No, I read that one. Uh, Liverpool are monitoring Aberdeen and Scotland under-21 international right-back Calvin Ramsey. Uh, I am led to believe that is more than monitoring, but we'll wait and see. Leeds are also interested, but Liverpool do look favourites to land him at the moment. And I think... Oh, is that it? Oh, Mr. Ecker, what's the best way for Liverpool... To approach the Champions League final, what should they do to win it? You know what, I'll talk about that more as we approach the game. I'll probably do it on a daily red as well because it, it is Liverpool-centric more than anything. So uh, I will get back to that one. Thank you very much. That is everything else. I will see you tomorrow. Goodbye. Podcast Network.